0: Welcome to STEAM Powered, where I have conversations with women in STEAM to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Kate Kerwin. Kate is a passionate advocate for women in STEM and the innovation ecosystem. She founded SheCodes, a community that supports women in tech and who want to get into the tech industry. Join us as we talk about Kate's journey to STEM, SheCodes, and building community in tech. Welcome, Kate. Thank you for joining me today on Team Part. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today, all about your journey. Thanks. Excited to be here. Wonderful. So you know you didn't actually start up in STEM, which is very cool. You started out in international relations and business law. But what motivated you to get into that area to begin with? Yeah. So um, when
1: I look back at um, the things that motivated me, um, kind of all the way through my life, my fundamental uh values making a difference and in school uh I always thought that that was going to be through politics um love politics um a little more disenfranchised now than I was back then but back then I was like oh my god I can do things um now I feel like there's better ways to do that but anyway um so I started there (laughs) and um I did really, really well in school. Like I did, uh, I got really good grades um, kind of f- flew through the f- traditional education system. Um, and everyone was telling me, they're like, Oh, you should study law. And I'm like, but I don't want to be a lawyer. And they're like, but it's just a good thing to do. And I'm like, but I don't want to be a lawyer. Um, I want to make change and I don't feel like I can do that through the legal system. Um, they're like, just do it anyway. I'm like, no, no, no I'll take a, bit of a step back. <laughs> um, and that's what we tell young people all the time, right? Like, just do it. Just, it's a good thing. It looks nice. It's smart. You're a smart person. Um, so I took a year off and I started working full time at a property management um, company uh just doing like basic office stuff. Um and I really loved working and I've worked since I was 14 um, at Kmart and then at a cafe. And then this was my first office job at 17. Um, And there's just something for me really fulfilling about like getting stuff done and ticking things off and being part of something. Um, So work was really important to me. Um, So when I did go back to uni, they couldn't keep me on um, in that full time role. Um, So I lasted, I think, two weeks um, in just doing university full time. But it was like three days a week uh, before I got super bored. Super, super bored. And I'm like, someone needs to employ me. I need to fill my day, my day, because I just can't, um, can't do this like three days a week studying and not and not being part of something. Um, so I started working in events uh, for multiple sclerosis society um, through like a friend of a friend, um, and did events for three years while I was studying. And um, then we got to the end of that, and. Uh, I wanted to go back to doing something full-time. I really wanted to be back in the city. Um, this was literally like my decision-making criteria was needs to be in the city, um, needs to be full-time and hopefully in events because I've done that for the last few years. Um, and I ended up at Space Cube, just a Space Cube, um, for those who don't know, um, it's a co-working space um, here in Perth. And when I started, um, we were a lot smaller, so we were one physical space. Um, we had four staff and about 300 members. Um, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary um, recently. Oh, awesome. we now got about 20 staff, um, about 3,000 members, um, plus an extended community of um, many, many, many more than that, and we do stuff all around Australia. Um, but yeah, that was really my first um, experience in the kind of STEM space, um, and I just got really curious. So I was working in events. Um, and really liked doing that, but I went along to every event, um, that we were hosting all the meetup groups, all of the panel discussions, like literally everything. Cause so it was just like a sponge for what's happening in the space. Um, and that's kind of how I got into, um, doing stuff with SheCodes, um, because I was just really curious about technology and coding and trying to teach myself. Um, and then it kind of all spiraled from there.
0: But you know, it it's so cool that you you know just developed this like through osmosis this fascination for programming. But you know, where did you see yourself going with developing these technical skills that you hadn't previously explored?
1: Um, I never really had like an ambitional goal for it. I was just really curious about learning how things work, um, and I think how that comes for me like. Uh, reflecting back now, I don't really know if I saw it at the time, but the things that I love are creating things. So I love baking, I love painting, I love um, even like building communities and building business. It's like seeing something coming from nothing and turning out into something. And I think that that's what drew me to tech in the first place, because you've just got like a bunch of random words and then suddenly you've got a beautiful website. Um, And that like nothing to something um, was what really inspired me and excited me. Um, I'm still not a developer, um, so I still only do like this much code um, <laughs> myself. Uh, and I've got people who do the rest of the teaching and um supporting from a technical experience. But I think having a basic understanding of how things work um, and just being kind of swept up in the magic of um being part of something uh, that is going to be the future, that's what's really exciting for me.
0: That is fantastic. And it's such a great way to, you know, come up with an idea that lets you found something that's so huge. So, you know, what, instead of just pursuing this on your own, what made you make it into this community, into this kind of space that, you know, other people can get involved with?
1: Yeah, so I really was just trying to solve my own problems. So I was trying to figure out how to teach myself how to code. And I went down um, the rabbit hole of online tutorials and you you get in a tutorial loop. Um, Where do you go next once you've done something, trying to get to the next thing? Um, That's kind of where I was. And I started a learn to code meetup, which was just the blind leading the blind, a bunch of people who were also learning stuff, just coming together and learning stuff together. Um, and the first couple of those, I had some really weird experiences of these people being like, oh, my God, I'm such a beginner. I've only been coding for 15 years. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> nice. Um, and then around a similar time, like I was going to all the meetup groups and uh, everything was going like way over my head, tons of acronyms, um, tons of experiences where I was the only woman in the room. Um, and sometimes even the only person wearing colour, like everyone was in black, <laughs> white or grey, um, sometimes blue. Uh, and then I'm there in like hot pink, and everyone's like, well, what are you doing? This is what you're in heels and hot pink and wearing black t-shirts and jeans this is our vibe um so (laughs) I'm in a space I'm comfortable yeah right and it's different now like (laughs) it's it is a bit different now um Mm. the last couple of meetups I've been to have you know, had women um, and had a more diverse range of people, which is really exciting. How novel. Um, (laughs) Right? Women? What? Um, But, yeah, at the time I was like this is – I should feel comfortable because this is my office and these are people that I know, a lot of them are my friends, and I still feel a little bit like, ugh, am I supposed to be here? Do I know enough to be here? Am I – like good enough to be here. Um and if I'm feeling that, and I know a lot of these people, like how is someone brand new to the community gonna feel um in this kind of environment? Um, but then a lot of it also sort of happened by mistake. So um or not mistake, I guess uh coincidence and accidents. serendipity. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Uh so I got there was a guy in the community, Marcus, um, who really wanted to run something for women. Um and he uh didn't want to be the face of it and um also just didn't have the events experience that I did um so he was like hey can you help me out I want to run this thing um what do you think and we did the first one together we formed a bit of a community a uh, committee I mean um about four or five people who were also really passionate about doing something in that space um, we ran as a committee for a couple of months um and then a lot of them all moved away and then we're at this point of like do I let this die? But there's so many people who want, there's so many people who want it. I'm getting emails. I'm getting, um, wait lists of people trying to come to these events. Uh, and then I got a cold email from BHP who were like, Hey, we really want to do, we're a bunch of white guys sitting around a table. Um, about <laughs> diversity. Um, we should probably go talk to some women. Um, can you help us to, like create our diversity strategy um and can we come along and learn from you and come along and mentor and then maybe give you some money and then you know see how we can do more stuff together um and all of that was kind of happening at the same time and i'm like i can't i can't let this die because yeah uh, you know There's so much all interest. This, yeah, uh and I'll just keep going and just see what happens. Um, and then now we're uh, seven and a half years later and have taught 6,000 women. So um, clearly people still want to do this.
0: That is amazing. So what, Well, we should rewind a bit. Tell me about or tell our audience about she Codes and what this organisation does.
1: Yeah, so um, what we do, we do three different levels of programs at the moment Um, a one day, a one week, and a six month program to get women from that beginner level, I know nothing about technology, I know nothing about code, right through to junior developer ready by the end of the six month program. Um, We operate at the moment across Perth, Brisbane, and we just launched in Sydney a couple of months ago. Um, We're running our first program there in September um and we've done some smattering of stuff across regional western australia um, and we're doing a program in ipswich um, in regional queensland as well Um, and so what we're really passionate about is how we can provide opportunities um to people who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to get into tech so the statistics um only 29 percent of tech is currently female And, uh, there's a huge problem in, uh, creating role models for women, Uh, possibly, you know, why stuff like this exists that we can, we can talk about, (laughs) uh, role models in in tech, Um, But what I'm really passionate about is how we can kind of fix both the the talent problem of getting more people into tech, um, but also just creating those those tangible role models in industry um, that are women who come through my program to inspire the next generation of people to come through um, and also giving opportunities for people who are mentors to be better at at mentoring and, and promoting and being allies um, within uh, their companies and the industry as well. So we're kind of tackling the diversity problem on a couple of different levels but really about providing those tangible opportunities on like an impact-first basis.
0: That's amazing. And it's great that you're getting industry involved with this as well because, you know, that that that's the problem area that you're trying to solve and a lot of people need that kind of access and, a, know, and they need to be able to know that there is a way in. Somehow, mm. either through networks and connections and people forget about the fact that networking is a big part of doing this kind of work. So yeah. having all of that together is such a great package.
1: Yeah, so I think we um, we sit in the middle of um, education, community and industry because I think you really need all of those three things um, yes to really like especially to career change so pr- predominantly our audience mm. is like 20 to 50 who are looking at career changing um, but that's really intimidating on your own without having all of those three things. Um, And unfortunately I think the formal education system um, can't do community well and hasn't to date done industry very well and they're very good at the education part Um, but we're even seeing people coming out of university um, or other formal education and they're like I don't know anyone how do I know what a good job is or how do I you know talk to people about culture or um, who do I go to ask for help when I don't know something Um, how do I do all of that stuff uh, so yeah, we're kind of solving, building community for those kind of people, as well as giving people the like the skills that they need um, to actually have the confidence to career change. Um, and a lot of it is it is confidence, and it's providing opportunities. Because uh, I get told all the time, like, oh, if women wanted to learn how to code, they just would. I'm like, okay, that's not the point. It's not <laughs> that's not the barrier. Uh, it's everything else that's the barrier. It's not the desire that's the barrier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are a couple of groups for women in tech where I I have seen, or women in STEM in general, where I've seen, they're saying they want to go explore these other fields and these other areas, but because the traditional education system focuses you down one particular field, one particular stream, if you do want to kind of explore these other opportunities, which can augment your current field, it's, there's a lot of independent learning and For a lot of people, they don't know where to start because they've come from this traditional education structure, whereas now a lot of people are trying to come through, through independent learning or through informal education systems and, you know, all these other ways of being able to get into communities that they're not immediately involved with from their, you know, foundation fields. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, giving that information and that knowledge and that understanding of how to get that foot in the door or who to talk to, to start with, to get involved in community is such an important part of it. It's very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thank
1: you. I, uh, yeah. I do feel very lucky, right? Like I get to be, um, I feel like I get to be surrounded by uh, these incredible people, um, both our students and our mentors, um, and I genuinely consider a lot of them to be, like my closest friends um, and they're all so inspiring and they've got such cool stories um, and I just get to be like this little part of it um, and they tell me that I'm changing their life and I'm like I don't know like you're
0: all super cool anyway
1: uh, and I <laughs> just get to be part of that um, amazing journey with all of these people.
0: That is amazing and it, it's so cool that the range of ages that you've got coming through this community 20 to 50 that's massive so you've got yeah. everyone coming from you know early career through to late career in other spaces just you know trying to find this way in um do you have any stats on the kinds of areas that all these women are coming from
1: Um, it's a little bit of a varied and it kind of depends on the different programs that we run so the one day workshops Mm -hmm. um, we've actually had I think five was the youngest that we had at the one day workshop and the oldest um, I didn't ask her age but she was somewhere in her 80s Um, and we've had a couple of times that we've had three generations of the same family um, coding together which is like so cool because they all understand different pieces of the puzzle um, because of their oh, kind so of cool. experience in technology and um, how things work. Um, for our one-day workshop, I think a lot of, um, there's a lot of people who work um, on the fringes of tech. So they're actually all of our programs, there's people who work on the fringes of tech. So they're in like digital marketing or they're in product, um, or uh, we've had a few people in the six-month program who are like in testing or um, those, those, tech-adjacent roles um, or technical roles that aren't pure dev work um, and they're really mm. curious because they've been exposed to bits and pieces mm. of it and um, they've, like, played with a bit of HTML but haven't been able to kind of get their hands dirty and building it themselves. Um, so we get a lot of those people yeah. in our community. Um, for the One Day Workshop, we get quite a lot of uh, mums who are like, I just want to understand what my kids are doing at school and help them better. Cool. Um uh we got a bunch of people who are like just a bit scared about um is my job gonna get automated? Uh am I gonna get replaced at some point? I feel like I need to keep up. Um, so I'm doing a bunch of programs to keep educating myself so I can stay abreast of different trends and feel like I can be more, yeah, be better at my job in the future. Um and uh yeah, then there's people who are just like, I'm really curious and this thing keeps being thrown around and I don't really know why I'm here, but I'm just here to learn something and see what happens. Um, And industry-wise, yeah, it's pretty broad too. Um, Obviously in Perth we get a lot of people from mining because that's uh, mining resources because that's a lot of uh, the people that we have here in Western Australia. Uh, (laughs) Um, Uh, And we do a lot of work with with companies like BHP, so um, that makes sense. Um, but we've had kind of everything as well from like lawyers and accountants, um, people in HR, um, had quite a few people from like a HR background, like really fundamentally understand people, um, but haven't kind of had the other side of what the, the technical side looks like um, and one of our alumni she was actually BHP um, as well she was from a HR background and learned the technical skills and then moved into the, into the technical team and was building nice. a product for HR because she was like I, I understand all of the problems yes. of why this <laughs> system wasn't working so now I'm the best person to be able to solve that problem um so yeah it's it's pretty broad um and I think I hear a lot of times from people oh I don't know if I'm smart enough or maybe I'm too old to be in tech um it's normally like women in their 30s that are like I'm
0: too old I'm like really like
1: what really
0: <laughs> really um totally not too old. <laughs> that's just mind-blowing yeah right
1: um Like, I don't know, maybe I can't judge because I'm still 28, but uh, still. (laughs) Maybe in two years
0: you'll change (laughs) your mind about this. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm suddenly old. Um, But, yeah, there's this perception that you have to be, like, 20-something and this, like, nerd in a dungeon and be super crazy smart. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't know. I'm fun and I like wearing colour and I'm in my 30s and I didn't study physics, like maybe I can't do this. Um, But like looking at the women who've come through our program and the ones who've done really well, like I I don't know if any of them fit that stereotype of like a guy in a basement that runs (laughs) lines of code.
0: Yeah, and that's such a fascinating kind of stereotype that we still have and it's the kind of thing that was – popularized in the 90s and yet it's still an image that a lot of people hold in their head today even though you know you have popular culture showing you all the cool nerd girls and and the girl hackers and we still you know return oddly to the guy in a basement it's yeah I I find that fascinating but
1: (laughs) I even had a couple of years ago, um, I had someone write an article about me in like an online newspaper and the feature image that they chose to use was a guy wearing hoodie with ones and zeros behind his head. And I'm like, the whole article, we're talking about women in tech, we're talking about me, we're talking about like, like literally all of this like glitter and sparkles stuff. And the header image that you've chosen is black and blue (laughs) hacking with ones and zeros like I've never written binary I don't know if I ever will write binary (laughs) how 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 do we get here how do we get here um and how do we get away from that (laughs) it was only a couple of years ago um yeah so I don't know where that whole stereotype comes from and why that's still a thing but if we can kill that, yeah. that'd be great.
0: <laughs> it, it's just so strange. Like you look at the way that, you know, it's, it's the kind of image like portrayed when cyberpunk was a thing in, you know, 80s and 90s films and you had that literal image and then you've got things like the Matrix. But, you know, all all of the things since then, it, yeah, we we've moved on. <laughs> and yet somehow these are the stock images that still end up being mm-hmm. used all the time because you know, they expect that people reading the article will go, oh, this is an article about computers. And then mm. we'll kind of take it from there without giving you any additional context or scope for what you could be talking about in terms of the field or the kind of people in it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, have, uh, I have lots of thoughts on this space. <laughs> uh. Yeah definitely due for a (laughs) rebrand uh the whole industry needs a bit of a rebrand um and just a closer connection from like what's actually happening to you know what are we talking about and what are we portraying and uh yeah I do think that television and media has a lot to answer for in how we've created that narrative and that stereotype um so I'm really passionate about how we can promote you know the real people from diverse backgrounds, and and share their stories, and do videos, and um, you know things like things like this, these kind of recordings of like, yeah, I'm just I'm just a normal girl that, hula hoops and wears pink, <laughs> and like you know you don't have to be that kind of guy. Uh, yeah, I think the more times that we can tell that story, I just I just wish that we could get it from like a. Bigger external factor as well, so it's not just people like you and me doing this work. but it's coming from Hollywood and coming from um, our big news providers as well.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think the news probably has a lot to do with it because popular culture and television and film, I think, are doing a little bit better with that. You're getting a little bit more scope. It's not just the goth girls who are in the code, and Although they are very cool. The goth girls are very cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're getting more into this space where they're starting to see that we do look a bit more normal or normal as a, has a wider range. And, yeah, it's just we just need to get the media on board because that's it's clearly the demographic that needs to be hit. Because coming in from outside, listening to you talk about this, it's like, I don't get that image at all. I, I don't see that the people I interact with, the people I work with, the people I see and people I speak to in STEM are so diverse in everything, in all aspects of their lives. We have layers. And yet, clearly, you know, your experience with this is totally different, and that's just blowing my mind because I thought we were past this. (laughs) Oh, like, don't get me wrong. I know probably...
1: 300 400 developers um, across Australia yeah. a bunch of them are like yeah literally are my closest friends um and I have not met a single person that Who codes in a either. basement <laughs> with a projector <laughs> with lines of code washing over their face while they're hacking into a bank like I've not met a single one of them and I think that I probably know like at least in Perth I think I probably know <laughs> almost every developer. Um, sometimes someone comes across my like LinkedIn that I don't know and I'm like, how do I not know you? Like, that's weird. Uh, I feel like I should be at least connected vaguely to almost every developer in Perth um, and probably most developers across uh, Brisbane as well. Uh, but yeah, none of them fit that stereotype. So that's the weird disconnect for me. Like we've got all of this tangible evidence of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and yet, broader community still comes to me of
0: oh but I don't know if I'm that guy so I don't know if I can do it yeah and it's also yeah coming in from you know peripheral tech or even non-tech at all completely it does seem like this foreign exotic thing and because this is challenging coding is not hard there is an art to it but I think anyone can do it. You might do it badly, but it can be done. Hmm. So it's it's one of those skills where you develop and you, you know, you refine those skills, but it's not something that's out of the reach of most people. Hmm. Because if you can follow instructions, if you can give instructions, you can code. Like that that's literally that's literally what we do. We are giving instructions to computers. And even then they don't listen sometimes. So it's, it's that, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Like it's, it's getting people into that mindset of programming looks weird, but it's no weirder than learning a language, like a spoken Mm -hmm. human language. And it's just understanding the nuance and its syntax and being able to, you know, for me, it, I I feel it is an art. It is a way that you can express yourself in just a different medium. And if you can express yourself, you can code. So that's my little bit of philosophy right there. But Yeah, I've got like <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it's getting that image to other people.
1: Yeah, so Hayley um Stewart who has been long term um mentor and teacher for us um she always says so computers are really dumb um, we're way smarter than computers are because you need to tell them exactly specifically what you want it to do um because otherwise yeah. it doesn't it doesn't listen um so when people are like oh my god computers are magical like no no they're really dumb they're really 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 dumb because we need to give them very explicit instructions yeah so the second thing uh that i got told recently is that michelle sanford from microsoft um she's amazing She's definitely will grow up if you haven't come across her already um she said to me uh, and a bunch of people at our workshop you know there's there's no such thing as technical people and non-technical people there's just people who have had the opportunity to develop those skills and the people who haven't had that opportunity to develop those skills and that's really all that it is like um, have you had the chance to learn how to code or, uh, haven't, you haven't had the chance to learn how to code. And it is like you just said, really just like learning a language. And I say that to my girls all the time. Like you wouldn't expect to learn English. Um, sorry, like, well, English, if you don't know English already, but French or German or Spanish, you wouldn't expect to learn that in a day and feel like, Oh my God, I'm amazing. I can totally fluently speak everything. Um, you're going to need to Google it. And it's the exact same thing for code. Like you're going to feel really dumb while you're learning it and you're probably going to need to keep learning and Googling and practising, um, but it's exactly the same. It's just learning how yep. the different formats and structures work and um, computers are really dumb. So uh, I think it's even easier yes. than translating between languages because there's all these nuances in language and there's seven different ways that you can say the same sentence. But yeah. Um, you know, computers are really dumb, so that makes things easier. That's usually a correct way.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, it's yeah, it's one of those things where you just get better at it as you keep doing it. Um, there was this tweet I saw the other day. It's like, I'm really offended that I have to be really bad at something before I get good at it. And <laughs> it, it's, it it's just like that. It just comes with practice and with exposure and learning and talking to other people doing that sort of thing too and learning with you. And yeah you know, it's it's so accessible we just need to let people know that it is
1: <laughs> mm. yeah
0: 100% yeah okay so with your uh the longer programs the 6 month programs that you know get people ready for getting into industry uh how do these programs work
1: Yeah. So um, when we were designing the program, we were really looking at like, what are the barriers that exist and how do we do it radically differently? Um, So how do we kind of flip everything that we know about how education works and traditional models and try and make it as um, female friendly and accessible to the demographic of people working with as possible? Um, So what we developed, so it's six months part time outside of business hours. So we do at the moment Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings. Um, seven hours a week contact time plus probably five to ten hours in their own time. Um, And everything's project-based, so we do five five projects over the course of the six months, kind of one per language, um, learning HTML, CSS, Python, Django, Django REST framework and React. Um, And then they come together in a collaborative group project at the end of the program, working out how to work in teams, um, sharing their code, and we give them a client um, who, you know, throws them a curveball every now and again because um, that's what clients do um, and you have to kind of get, get used to reporting back to a client on um, the status of the thing that you've made and kind of presenting back your work. I'm really just trying to simulate a real-world environment but in a friendly environment. Um, and then what's really important to me is um, that community vibe Um, So during classes, a lot of pair programming, um, working with other people, and would you stand up at the beginning of every session, um, sharing kind of what your update for the week is and what your goal for the week is? Um, we do some guest presentations on women in tech um, uh, to get some presentation skills and develop confidence. Um, and then we do a bunch of social stuff as well. So like some drinks or some game nights um, and bits and pieces. We've got this thing that we call the cupcake effect. Um, so the cupcake effect is really important to me. Um, the cupcake effect is how um, something makes you feel. Uh, so all of our events have have had cupcakes at them, which again happened sort of by accident. We used to have this lady <laughs> who used to make cake um, who used to do all of our catering and she stopped catering. So then we just had like boring sandwiches and lunch. Um, and I'm like, we need kind of a <laughs> cake because it's cake. Um, so we made, uh, I just decided on a whim to order cupcakes with our logo on them. And then people were obsessed. And now again, we're seven years later and we keep doing these brand cupcakes. Um, but the cupcakes make people feel like they're at something that's for them and there's effort and thought that's gone into it and there's the glitter and the sparkles and like, it looks good on Instagram and (laughs) uh, yeah, it's like more meaningful and more effort than just like a random. standard sandwich tray. Yeah, so that's our cupcake effect, and we try to translate that into everything that we do um, so that you've got that like the fun and the glitter and the sparkles because learning is hard. And you know, we just said that you know, coding is really easy, but like sometimes things are really hard, and you are yeah, using a lot of brain a learning power. Curve. Yeah, yeah. And there's some things, some weeks that are just challenging, um, and a lot of our women have full time jobs, and they've got families, and yes. they've got lives, um, so there are tears. Um, along the way, uh, I think every cohort has had at least half of them cry at some point. Um, I've cried, uh, our mentors have cried. <laughs> like it's it's fine. That's like how we build those those relationships together. Um, and there's some really strong relationships that are formed from um, from my girls post program, which I really love because you're not only developing those those technical skills you're also learning soft skills building confidence and building connections both within your cohort and with your mentors um, and so every sessions so our class sizes are typically sort of like 20 to 25 um, and we have three mentors plus the what we call our lead mentor which I guess in a traditional that would be your teacher or your lecturer um, uh, but yeah, there's there's all of those people surrounding, helping out um, from a technical ex- um, expertise, um, but also sharing a little bit of their journey and what the what their job is like and what they do on a day to day basis. Um, so over the course of the program, the girls have met, um, you know, about eighteen, I think, mentors from different industries and different backgrounds and different education experiences, um, plus the 25 girls that they've come through the program with plus learned all those technical skills. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of our program in a nutshell. Um, We're on to I think we've done six cohorts now across Perth, Brisbane, um, and we did one up in Port Hedland um, in the far north WA, um, which is a bit of a challenge. We had a little small group up there um, and everything that we do at the moment, COVID pending, um, has been in person as much as possible because we think that it's really important to build those relationships and uh, have that kind of human to human interaction um, so we were flying people up to Port Hedland to teach in person um, and then Very doing cool. like a couple of weeks online and then flying someone up again uh, because that bond is 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 really important what we do.
0: It is and I love that you actually have that focus on the soft skills as well because again in the traditional educational environment like you you get to meet your classmates. You get to meet the occasional industry person who comes in to do a to do a talk. But you know, in my experience, and you know, don't know how much or whether it has changed since then. But networking opportunities were always a little bit vague. And even mm. if they did offer them, like, well, why am I? There? Why am I going there? What What is my reason for doing this? What value does it have for me? And you know, being able to convey that it's not utilitarian like you you are building connections you are building networks but the networks aren't just to serve a function they are you know to create your group of people your tribe or your you know however you want to call it so that you know you've got people to bounce things off you've got connections to share ideas with or job opportunities with and it's so much more about building those friendships than it is about building Specific purpose connections with people, saying, "Well, you are—you have to be of use to me before I will connect with you." And yeah, yeah, that has—I think that's changed a little bit over time, but people still have trouble doing that because it's hard making friends, especially when you're an adult. Creating new connections, creating new networks, is a challenge, and you have to actively, you know, do it to make it happen. It doesn't just passively mm-hmm. occur like when you were a kid at school.
1: Yeah. there's there's even just like a time thing right like you need to invest a lot of hours with someone to form that kind of relationship and in a lot of places like when do you get time to spend at school you're spending every day with someone so you kind of have to figure out who you like and who you don't (laughs) like but um outside of a work environment uh yeah, like where, where, when do you spend that much time with someone outside of work, um, or perhaps a hobby that you do really regularly? Um, so it's really yeah. challenging as a, as an adult, especially when you're busy and you've got, you know, a full time job and family and and everything else. Like, yeah, how fitting in the time to invest in those kind of relationships? Um, and if you're career changing, then find relationships yeah, at new work. <laughs> yeah, like that's not helpful. Yeah. Probably, depending yeah. on where you work. But, like, if you're a lawyer, making friends with your other lawyer friends, like, probably not going to help you get a job in tech, hey? Um, so then yeah. where do you go? Like, do you go to the meetup groups? But, yeah, how do you get that first step into forming that yeah. kind of relationship? Um, yes, yeah, so that's really interesting how you kind of tackle that. Um, it is. And through, and through things like yeah. this, you know, there's opportunity to do that. But um, on a broader level, kind of how you build community and, and and
0: make that happen um yeah it's interesting yeah and it, it's it's a trend that's happening now that a lot of these initiatives that are coming out are focusing on the community aspect making sure that people know it's about the community and not just about the specific purpose that they've come together for mm-hmm. and that is so is such a valuable thing to emphasize and not just because of COVID because now people are being more aware of you know, having to create connections and relationships with people because it's been harder to do that remotely. So yeah, it's, it's good that we're able to focus on those kinds of skills and, you know, teach people to be people again.
1: Yeah, it's super important.
0: (laughs) especially yeah the last couple
1: of years um and it was it was interesting in 2020 because uh we had a conversation with our program partners of you know this whole pandemic thing's happening should we just put the program on hold and just like wait it out and see where we're going and you know maybe we can kind of check back in in a couple of months when everything's kind of calming down this conversation was probably maybe April May 2020 where we really had no idea that wow we're two years later and we're still doing this cool um but anyway we went and surveyed our community and we're like hey you know what do you want to do and overwhelmingly people were feeling like what they desperately needed was human connection even if that was Mm. on an online environment having access to community was really important and now more than ever they were worried about jobs and staying relevant and having skills um so deferring the program was actually like the worst thing that we could do for the people that we wanted to help because what they needed was what we can offer um so we took that back to our program partners and we're like hey like this is overwhelmingly the response that we're getting um i think that we've just got to make this work uh, so we went to a online delivery model um for six weeks in perth and we did nine weeks in brisbane um and then kind of slowly transitioned back into having in-person classes um and then over the last couple of years we've just had like on and off weird things <laughs> As we've had, as everyone's had to do, you go week by week, day by day. Uh, I think for a while there, I was watching press conferences in three different cities um, just to stay <laughs> a, ahead of what was happening from a COVID perspective um, in all of the different states we operate in, uh, which is a little wild. But anyway, I think we're hopefully somewhere closer to
0: I don't know. transitioning back. <laughs>
1: Some days I feel like we're we're getting there. And then some days I'm like, oh, no, we're spiking again. Maybe we are.
0: Yeah. So how did what sort of things did you do? Like, obviously have your remote classes, but how did you maintain that feeling of community when people were so used to having that in person as part of the whole program?
1: Yeah, so there's a bunch of things that we chose to do. So we're really looking at, um, like I was saying before, about the cupcake effect, how we manage that. Um, and so one of the yeah. things that we decided mm-hmm. to do for the six-month program, um, we were actually posting stuff out to people. So I posted a cupcake kit um, because I couldn't give them oh, physical nice. cupcakes. Um, so I sent them, uh, like, icing and, the like, the mix um, and decorations um, in our colour scheme. Um Really overengineered, but they had cupcakes. <laughs> um, and the first session, they were actually on a on a Zoom call together. They had to bake their cupcakes, and then ice them. In um, half of the room, were icing them. Uh, live on the zoom call um and then they had to explain to the other half of the room how they decorated them um, using very specific instructions and the other person had to replicate it using the same ingredients they had in the <laughs> cupcake kit um, and then we had a little bit of a discussion about how computers really dumb and you need to be very specific uh, because giving instructions, um, if you're not very specific can somehow sometimes result in a completely wild result that you didn't intend to do, um, which is stuff like that. So trying to take, uh, computer science concepts and make them fun and make it interactive and having those physical props and stuff, um, making people feel like, um, you know, they still had access to cupcakes. Uh, we also really leaned into the fact that, you know, we are at home, so let's celebrate that. And, um, Hayley was really good at this uh, every time the beginning of the session um, show and tell your pets so go and grab your cat and wave it in front of the screen and tell us about your cat and what they did today um, if there's a you know baby walks a child walks past on screen um, let's stop the class for a second and let's say hi to the child um, like like. Let's not use this as this awkward like, oh, we're in people's houses. Like let's use yeah. that as an opportunity to get to know each other as people and stop pretending like it's this weird thing that we're here um, and use it as a bonding experience. So, um, yeah, really thinking about how we can still work with people as people Um and then using lots of like chaotic breakout rooms and things on Zoom. Um, so in our classes, we had the um, the main class. Uh, and then when we did some like peer-peer work, um, splitting into breakout rooms, we had the panic room, which is where if you need a one-on-one with a mentor, you can go in the panic room. Um, if you wanted some quiet time, then you could go to the library. And uh, then if you just wanted to go in the the main room and hang out with other people and have some like loose conversation Um, and then yeah you could kind of move around between those different rooms just like you would in a physical environment so uh, yeah yeah, we really thought a lot about how this would work and like I still don't know if we nailed it like I think there's probably every time we do things we get a little bit better Um, but I think a lot of people just went into online delivery as like let's do exactly what we've done in the classroom but do it on zoom yeah and that doesn't work like it just doesn't work. No. You Need to really be mindful about how you show up, how you deliver content, how you have breaks, how you make sure people go outside, how you make people feel connected, um, checking in a lot more. Uh, and then, yeah, for us, I think having those physical things that you still felt like you were connected um, and you still got the same experience, even if that's a cupcake um, that was really important.
0: Yes, it is. And it's, I think you guys did such a great job from what you've described in trying to make people feel more comfortable about this remote environment. I've been freelancing since 2008. So I've been working from home and doing this kind of thing for ages. And when all of this kicked off and there was this panic about, oh my God, we have to do things from home. We have to do things remotely. I felt a bit smug at first because it's like yep yeah, it's okay you guys have this it's totally all right don't panic mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know a lot of people because they haven't had that environment before it is such a massive change for them because they no longer they have this bleed of space between work and home life and a lot of people don't know how to manage that and mm. they panic because i can't let people know what i'm like at home this is really quite you know personal and invasive But, you know, you are human beings and when you're in the office, you interact with each other as human beings, even if it's in a professional environment, you talk about stuff that you do outside of work sometimes or your family, your pets or whatever, and you can still do that at home just because you're doing it over a screen. It doesn't mean you're still not human and, Hmm. you know, you you don't have to forget that you are interacting with real people on the other side who've got real lives happening behind them, literally.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Um I still like uh when I can, I like to come back into the office. I really like being around mm. people and I still like the separation of um just sitting on the bus and listening to music and um, yeah, like I know it's a bit of a like it's a waste of time, but that commute really kind of separates things for me of like now I can like shut off and calm down. Um sometimes even when I, I work from home every now and again, um and then I find myself at six o'clock at night being like, oh hang on, I'll just do that one thing. Uh <laughs> such a trap um (laughs) because that one thing turns into more than one thing and then suddenly you're like oh my god I haven't I haven't eaten today uh what yeah um but anyway uh so I still like coming into the office but yeah I think how we can uh, I think there's a lot of lessons that we've had to teach each other on you know how we show up and and some in some instances I think people have developed superficial connections with people through this online environment um but I, I think yeah. in a lot of ways people have developed like really deeper meaningful conversations um and relationships through this uh, just depending on how they've structured those relationships and how they've like shown up and um what their trust and psychological safety has been within the organizations or the groups or whatever that they've developed
0: exactly yeah absolutely and it's also like um trying to encourage that interaction aspect that's more social when you are on Mm. these remote kind of mediums because, you know, someone mentioned to me the other day that when you are in an office and you're gathering for meeting, you've got that period in the beginning where not everyone's there yet and you just sit there talking and chatting and, you know, just bantering back and forth, whereas when you're in a Zoom environment, you feel obliged to kind of sit there quietly or mm-hmm. you know, if you're having that banter, it's hard to have the banter because everyone can hear you at once. You can't hold individual conversations because it's basically a brawl <laughs> where mm-hmm. everyone's talking at once over a top of each other and you can't create that sort of connection in the same way. So, you know, that that is a very interesting aspect that I think a lot of people missed as part of this workplace meeting environment.
1: Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the um I saw on LinkedIn probably a few months ago now uh, studying people's like brain activity waves of back-to-back meetings in physical meetings versus virtual meetings. And um, Mm. you're like brain is so much more stressed going back-to-back virtual meetings because you do, you start the call and you're like, okay, cool. It's, it's 10.01. Let's get started. Um, whereas in a, in a yep. person environment, often that's like, oh, it's like five past. Most people are here. Like, yes, we'll just start. Um, so you miss those couple of minutes, um, plus all of the banter, plus the like physical getting up and moving to a different room um, gives you a sp- your brain time to like calm back down before it has to ramp back up to now I've got to focus on the next thing. Um, So yeah, it's really interesting. This, this, this article is looking at how we need to make sure that we're meaningfully doing more breaks um, and actually having time between online meetings because it is uh, so much more stressful. And also just looking at yourself, you're like self-criticizing by looking at yourself on camera um, (laughs) because you just can't help it. Like, it's human nature to look at yourself. Um, So, yeah, there's that, like, even if you're not consciously doing it, there's this, like, a little internal narrative of, like, oh, hang on, my lipstick looks weird. Or, like, oh, look, my hair's gone to that different place. Or, like, oh, does my nose really look like that when I move in that direction? Um, (laughs) Which you just don't do in a normal environment because you're probably not sitting in front of a mirror.
0: Exactly. And, yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing where everyone's suddenly very aware of their presentation and you know it's you take for granted how aware you are of your presentation until you're having to look at yourself in a camera all the time.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Cool okay so we we'll get to those bonus questions Ooh. and what hobby or interest do you have that is most unrelated to your field of work and I think we've already covered a few of them.
1: Yeah. So um, I do a lot of things. Um, I'm definitely known for being very busy. Um, and I really like being busy. So yeah, I do a bunch of random things, um, probably the randomest. Um, and the thing that I probably talk about the most is I'm a hula hooper. Um, so I actually met Bree, my hoop teacher at Space Cube way back in 2014, nice. 2015. She was a member in our space. Um, she said to me a couple of months ago, she's like, you know what i actually thought that you just came to classes because you felt bad and you liked me and you wanted to <laughs> hang out with me and i'm like i kind of did like i genuinely do like you and uh wanted to support your business so i came to classes um but then i just found it really fun and did that for a couple of years took a little bit of a break and now i've been back really seriously i say um for about two and a half years now um and I teach as well. So I teach a hula hoop fitness class. Nice. Um, so I've done a couple of gigs. I did a New Year's Eve street performing. I um, did some stuff for Christmas and Australia Day. I've done some markets. Um, and I was teaching a class over summer down at the beach. Um, of have level hula hooping. Um, and now I'm going to two classes a week. So um, yeah, I hula hoop. Um, it's kind of random, but very fun um I also do uh I've been going to jungle body the last couple of weeks um because again I think exercise should be fun and so like yeah why don't we have lights and music and a DJ and the lights off and um yeah have a lot of fun with it like I'm definitely not the kind of person who can just like go for a run like so boring (laughs) um I need some other kind of (laughs) stimulation to exercise um and dance and have fun with it Um, and then, like I was saying before, like, I really love creating things. So, um, I bake a lot as well. Um, I actually don't know that I really like eating cake. Um, I just really (laughs) like baking cake. Um, so I love celebrating people's birthdays and, uh, making cake. Uh, And I've done a bunch lately. Um, and one of my friends uh, has been insisting that I film when I bake for Instagram, so I've been reading <laughs> some like Instagram reels of cake videos, um, just for her the last couple of months too, which adds a whole other layer awesome. um, of what we we're talking just before about being self-critical, like trying to figure out how yes. to get the kitchen clean while also making things. <laughs> I am not a clean, uh, organized I'm a very organized person except for when I'm baking things and then there's like flour everywhere and the whole floor is covered <laughs> in icing sugar. Um, so filming has been an interesting time for me <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to
0: <laughs> just throw caution to the wind. Keep your flour everywhere. It's fine. <laughs> That's yeah. still Instagram worthy.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's still like it's been a couple of weeks since I baked and my floor is still sticky. And I'm like, why is my floor sticky? I've mopped like five <laughs> times and there's just still like patches of stickiness from all of my icing sugar. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's how I roll. That's fine. That's fine. Just get a dog. You'll be fine. <laughs> cool. And which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you?
1: So I was thinking about this question um, and I actually saw this book the other day that's still on my bookshelf. Um, I have this, it's quite a thick book, like it it would be like a few hundred pages um, and it's about fairies that live in flowers Um, and it's almost Mm. like a, like, like an encyclopedia picture book kind of thing. So there's like a big image of what the fairy looks like in the different flower and then it tells you about the flower and then like the story of what the sugar, sugar drop fairy does and uh, where she lives and how she hangs out and stuff. Um, and, yeah, that was like one of my favourite books when I was very young um, and it's still on my bookshelf. So I was looking at it the other day and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's a bit of a blast from... From the past, looking at all of these um, different fairies, and I'm sure that I had favorite fairies from it, but um, I would have to go back through my book and figure out which ones were my favorite fairies because I'm pretty sure I had like two or three that were like, These are the, I'm sure I had a reason of like why they were the best fairies. (laughs) Of course. I'll have to come back to you on that.
0: (laughs) That's okay. I love those books though, the encyclopedic kind of fantasy book. Like you had the dragon ones or the squashed fairy book when squashed fairies were really popular. And just being able to break them down almost into these little illustrated manuals of all these specimens was such, mm. you know, I loved that period where everyone was doing that. I thought it was very cool because it made you think about fantasy in an entirely different way in like a almost very kind of scientific kind of look into the habitat and David Attenborough kind of thing. It's very neat. Yeah
1: and like I think because it was such a big book um, and it's like an yeah. A4 kind of size one as well so like mm. tall and thick um, but because it wasn't like a story um, you could read a page or you could read yeah. 10 pages, or you could read 50 pages. Um, and then when you come back, you could look at those same three pages, or you could look at different ones, and you can kind of chop and change a little bit, um, which is kind of nice, yeah. uh, especially when you're in, when you're younger, um, not having mm. to just commit to, I'm going to read the 600 pages of Harry Potter, start to finish, <laughs> and not put it down. Uh, and then when I'm done, I'm probably not going to pick it up again for another two years or whatever, because I finished that story. Um, yes, you could kind of, like, go at your own pace and pick it up and put it down again.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, the ones that I liked the most were the ones that were almost like um, anatomy books. So they talk about, you know, this is the wing span of, the, of this particular dragon. And, and you can see that it's, you know, made of this sort of material or um, skin. And, you know, they talk about all these little bits and what makes it unique to that particular species, And yeah, it was just one of those things where you could just pick it up, look at it. And often they had these beautiful illustrations or watercolors or drawings to go with it. And you could just kind of appreciate that for a little while and then, you know, go to the next one and put it back down again. Yeah, this was great.
1: 100%. (laughs) Love. I love, uh, and I've always been, you know, a big fan of glitter and sparkles and um, the very feminine things. So I had a uh, my sixth birthday party. I was a, it was a fairy queen, Caroline, um, and so my mom nice. made me this fairy dress. Um, so very into that whole thing. Um, and now, like, probably don't hang out with fairies as much anymore. But like, give me a reason to wear glitter, and like, I'm there. I don't I don't even need convincing to wear glitter. I'm there. Just sign me up.
0: Just run the next workshop in full glitter and fairy costume. I mean what
1: <laughs> Oh, don't tempt me. Don't tempt me.
0: Do it. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, what advice would you give someone who'd like to do what you do? And or what advice should they ignore?
1: yeah so my number one piece of advice is like it never hurts to ask um so especially in this space uh there's so many people that are so generous with their time and um, experience and introductions like I've had coffee with people and they're like oh there's these 11 people that you're gonna have to meet um I'll do an email intro for you now um obviously be respectful of that like you've got to come in prepared and you've got to be really specific on what you want and like, don't harass people because people are really busy. But, um, yeah, a lot of people think that, Oh my God, that person's so busy and fancy. They won't reply to me. Um, but the worst thing that you can do is get told no. And even no is often not really no, it's a not right now. Um, so never hurts just to ask. Um, and just be on someone's radar, particularly if you're new to the industry. Um, I think in the like in the startup space, the best advice that I always give is um, you really need to understand your customers, and talk to your customers, and be obsessed with your customers uh, as much and as often as possible. Um, and I think that how we've been able to, I've been able to do what I do, is because I really deeply, fundamentally understand my community, and I talk to them all the time, and a lot of them. Um, Yeah, are like me and uh, yeah, I think I've been driven a lot by what they've been telling me that they want. Um, there's obviously a little bit about what I want as well, but a lot of it I do because of the feedback that I'm given. Um, so just really understanding that I think there's a lot of founders who are like, oh, but I've got the best idea since sliced bread and I'm going to go spend thousands of dollars on developing it. And I've not talked to a single customer and I don't know if anyone wants to pay for it. Um, but it's fine because I know that it's amazing. Uh, and then they build the thing and then they go and try and sell it and people are like, yeah, no one wants that why did you make that thing? Um, so definitely understanding customers, particularly before you spend any money, um, getting to know exactly what your customers want. Um, advice to ignore, I think, um, feedback is a data point. Um, so I think feedback is a gift. Um, even bad feedback, like it's still good to know. It's so much better to know than to not know. Um, but feedback is still a data point. And at some point, you know, you, you can go down this feedback loop. And I've seen that particularly in startups in the early days where they're getting pulled like in this direction, in this direction, in this direction, in this direction. And uh, have lost sight of what their end goal is because they're just following blindly everything that people tell them to do um so I think sometimes you you know you need to take on feedback don't ignore feedback consider it and then be like does this align with what I want and where I'm going or is Mm. that something that I can be like hmm that's interesting that's good to know but maybe not right now maybe I'll just keep that in the back of my mind as that was a really good thing that Michelle said to me but I don't think it's relevant for where I'm at right now I'm gonna try this thing. And then if I get that feedback again by more people like, okay, cool. Now I've got all of these data points telling me there's a big flashing red light, stay away from that. Um, but sometimes that one piece of feedback is an outlier and you can just ignore mm. that one piece of feedback as an outlier. Uh, yeah. I think particularly for beginner stage startups um, and particularly for women who want to be people pleases, uh, that gets people in a bit of a
0: a loop of getting disconnected from
1: what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it.
0: Absolutely. And it's such an important thing to be humble enough to receive the feedback but critical enough to understand which ones to kind of take in and which ones to let go. And it's such a hard skill to learn because you do want to take everything personally. You do want to act on every bit of advice and bit of feedback that you get, but it doesn't always apply. And learning to kind of say no when it doesn't apply is Yeah, it's super hard and requires practice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Um, And it was actually really cute uh, this week because I asked for feedback from a couple of people that I really respect. And um, something that was kind of vaguely relevant to them that I thought that they would give me good feedback on um and one of them said to me, uh, he was like one of my mentors. he was like, Kate, I just don't think that I'm qualified to give you this this advice because I trust you and I know that you're gonna make the right decision and uh like you're way closer to this problem than I am. like you understand uh your community, you understand women, you understand like all of this stuff like i'm just I'm just here to support you in whatever you need. so I'm not qualified to give you advice <laughs> on this and I'm like." that was really lovely like not super helpful for what i wanted but also really validating to know that you know he believes that whatever i decide is going to be the right thing to do so um yeah i think what even when you're giving other people feedback advice giving, (laughs) giving a little bit of like you know maybe this is my opinion but like this is why this is my opinion, and this is my bias, and this is why where I'm coming from in this. And like sometimes I'm not the best, most qualified person to give you feedback. Um, but I'll give it to mm. you because you asked for it, but you know, take it with a grain of salt sometimes.
0: Yeah. Also, a very important lesson in giving feedback. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah like, does this person want this feedback? Is this, is this useful? Uh, am I the best person to give this feedback? And are mm. they going to blindly follow everything that I say? Or do I know that that person can synthesize it into like, it's a data point. Um, really exactly. important things for giving feedback. Um, but yeah, feedback is still, it's a gift. So we should keep giving feedback, it is. positive and negative, yes.
0: both gifts. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, Yeah, it's it's all stuff that we need to learn to give and to receive, and it's super hard to kind of be able to do it in constructive ways and in ways that Mm -hmm. we know will be received and in ways that we know will be helpful. So, yeah, like knowing when not to give the feedback is also a good thing to learn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if any of this is helpful to anyone, but, like, (laughs) there's all just the things that you need to know.
0: No, layers. it is. It's all it's useful layers. things. There are layers. And it's It's a lot of things where, you know, people take things for granted through life all the time. There's always information that we think we know or we think we don't know. And sometimes, you know, there's always these little bits of info where it seems like common sense, but you don't realize it is until someone says it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, people always, you know, say, ask for feedback. It's like, but how do you give feedback? A lot of people don't know how to give feedback, but they're always asked to ask for it. We're always asked to do it because you know it's useful information to have. Like having feedback is important, you know. But we don't know how to process feedback, and we don't know how to offer it. And they don't teach you these things, and you have to learn it on the fly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe giving
1: feedback gives giving feedback regularly. I think helps you learn how to accept feedback too, because you can. Mm. Give something and see how somebody else processes it. And then sometimes even ask for feedback on how you gave the feedback. Um, just to really get yeah. in like feedback inception. Um, then <laughs> I think that helps you then later, like, oh, okay. Last time I was giving that person feedback, um, this is how they took it. Um, they took really well. Yeah. These are things that I did. Um, when someone's giving me negative feedback, like, oh, I know I don't need to take this personally, because Michelle didn't take it personally when I told her that I didn't like X thing that she did. Um, yeah, so I like, guess if you're not yeah, good at not good refinement. at accepting feedback,
0: try and give some. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it it is about refinement and asking. You know, was this feedback helpful to you? Is also good for you. Like you you are getting feedback back, but it's it's understanding better the person you're giving the feedback to, so you can give them better feedback next time. And yeah, continuous improvement. <laughs> yeah. It's very cool. Okay. Well, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Like I have loved mm. speaking to you about your journey and all the stuff that you've learned about the community and the people who are wanting to get into code and just, you know, don't have the confidence to give it a try because they don't understand that the space can be welcoming and that it is inclusive and diverse, and we don't have to fit a specific stereotype in order to be able to get into this room, into getting into this interest and exploring all these very cool ideas. So, if people would love to know more about She Codes and the work that you do, where can they go?
1: Yeah, so our website is shecodes.com.au. So we're She Codes Australia on basically every platform. Um, so She Codes AUS on Instagram and Twitter and She Codes Australia on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, you can connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn um, uh, at Kate Cohen. Um, and I've got this beautiful new headshot that Josh Fernandez took where like my hair's got this whole Beyonce switch thing. <laughs> on, so Wonderful. Um, if you try and connect with me, and you think that my headshot's amazing, uh, Josh Fernandez, best best uh, photographer in Perth. Love that guy. Um, And it's new. So uh, that's fun. You can feel free to connect with me there. Um, I do encourage anyone who um, is interested in like maybe just dabbling. um, You can join our Slack community. So we've got about 2,000 people on our Slack community. Um, There's a bunch of stuff that happens on there. We've got a careers channel for jobs, um, general information, events happening around town, stuff like that. Um, We've got some help channels. So if you are learning how to code, you can ask a question there in HTML. On CSS, React, um, Python, Django, um, or you can ask just a random other question and someone might know the answer. Um, we've got about 300 mentors across Perth, Brisbane and Sydney who are all hanging out on that Slack channel. So it's usually not more than 12 hours before you get an answer to a question. And like, I think we're way more friendly than like Stack Overflow. So um, if you are learning how to code, <laughs> um, feel free to jump on there. Um, the link to it, um, we can... Um, Said to you yep, to pop put in the show notes. notes. Um, yep. But it is also on our website um, in the top in the social section. Um, there's a link to join Slack there too. So um, yeah, Amazing. you can drop on our Slack channel. Uh, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I did say that it never hurts to ask. So if there is anyone out there who needs a bit of a pep talk, um, feel free to, to reach out and see how we can pep talk your way into um,
0: joining tech. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Kate. This has been absolutely wonderful. And yeah, I hope you have an incredible day. Thanks, you too. It was a blast. I've loved speaking with Kate about her passion for supporting women in tech and the programs that SheCodes offers to women who are tech curious and want to explore the tech and dev space. It's also wonderful to learn that these programs make coding accessible to women and girls of all ages, and not just to those exploring careers in tech, but to parents who want to better support their STEM kids. To learn more about Kate and what we discussed in the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steampowered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about She Codes at shecodes.com.au and social media, and Kate on LinkedIn, the links of which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Subscribe to the show, leave a comment, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steampowered on Patreon and Ko-fi under Steampowered Show, the links of which always be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.